0: Listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. Before we take a look at our scripture today, I'd like to invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. And on our website, you'll find links to our bookstore, links to both of our podcasts, our blog, and a link where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. Each Tuesday, I send out a newsletter with a word of encouragement and some content to help you in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to receive that each week in your inbox, it's free. All you need to do is just sign up on the website, desirejesus.com. You'll see the newsletter tab. Just click it, and we'll be happy to add you to the email list. Now let's take a look at today's scripture. Several weeks ago, we began looking at the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians for a few more weeks, and then we're going to segue into the book of 2 Thessalonians. But as we've been looking at 1 Thessalonians, we've been talking about this idea of what it means to progress in faith. You can see that the Apostle Paul was very concerned for the Thessalonian believers, that they would grow in their faith, that they would progress in faith. And he gives them really good counsel as the Holy Spirit inspires him to do so on what that will look like for them, and likewise, what it will look like for us. Now, today, as we talk about this idea of our faith progressing, you're going to see in the portion of Scripture that we're looking at that Paul actually brings up four ways that a healthy church expresses its faith. And so this is something that we want to internalize as individuals, but it's also something that we can look at today and say, all right, this also has an application for the local church church. There are ways a healthy local church expresses its faith, and we see four of those ways, at least four of those ways, in the portion of scripture that we're looking at today. So if you would, take your Bibles and join with me as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and today we're going to pick up at verse 6, and I'm going to read down to verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 3, starting with verse 6. This is what it states. and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to carve out some time right now to take a look at it and to meditate on the things that you've revealed to us in it. And Lord, we recognize as we've been going through the book of 1 Thessalonians that we could see a lot of things here that have been communicated with this idea that we would progress in faith, that we would grow in our faith, that our faith would deepen, that it would develop. And these things obviously have a personal application, but they have a broader application than just personal. We also see that that there are things that you're communicating in this portion of your word that collectively the church body— should internalize. And so, Lord, as we look at this portion today that that speaks about these different ways that that healthy churches are expressing faith, and we see these things illustrated in the conversation that you inspired the Apostle Paul to have with the Thessalonians, we pray that we would learn from these things and that by your grace we would apply these truths to our walk with you as believers and as part of the local church body. We just commit our time to you now, Lord, and thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Recently, um, actually, this would, this would be maybe just four or five days ago, uh, I was invited by a group of pastors and other church leaders to speak for a training event on church health. That's specifically the idea of what, what this group is, is trying to get together. And so they asked if I would come and, and host some training for them on a specific topic. Now, the event hasn't happened yet. It's coming up. Uh, in just a few weeks and I asked the coordinators if they would specifically want me to focus on anything in particular if they could let me know what it was and the essence of their response was this they said we'd like to see you talk about the factors that cause local churches to die and we'd like to discuss how we can turn our churches around if they're headed in that direction So that was the request. We'd like to talk about, you know, the factors that facilitate the death of a local church and what we could do to turn things around if we sense that our church is heading in that direction. Now, I felt bad that these church leaders felt like they were in that predicament, but I also felt grateful that they were trying to do something to correct it that they were looking at this and saying, all right, we're not going to just sit around and complain to each other. We're actually going to reach out and and ask for some ideas and ask for some help. And so uh, I'm looking forward to being able to spend some time together with them. And I hope our time will be edifying. And I'd certainly ask you to be praying about that. But years ago, and maybe some of you are familiar with this, years ago, a large quantity of literature was written about church growth. There was a lot of literature that was being written about church growth during the 80s and 90s in particular. That seemed to be um, kind of a big theme with a lot of the literature that was being written to church leaders and pastors. A lot of things were focused on church growth. And so much of that, that literature uh, tended to become the bulk of the, the conversations that pastors were having with each other. And so many of us became highly focused on what we could do to help facilitate the growth of our churches numerically. Uh, Now, some people, I would say, are critical of that focus now, but I think at its heart, it was typically well-intentioned. I think typically, you know, there were good intentions behind it. Church leaders were looking for ways that they could reach out to new people in their communities. I actually think that's something we should all still be doing. But a focus on church growth that doesn't stress church health ends up missing the point. Christ hasn't commissioned us to just simply gather a large group of people together. That's not the commission. That's not what Christ has commissioned us to do. His mission for us, his, you know, we could say the great commission is a, is a mission of discipleship. That's what Christ has encouraged us to be invested in, discipleship. He wants us to help others to become fully devoted followers of His, and likewise, He wants us to remain invested in one another's spiritual health, and then, therefore, the health of the local church overall. That's something that Christ very strongly emphasizes in multiple ways. Well, when we look at the portion of Scripture that we're in today, you know, we've been going through this book, we've been going through 1 Thessalonians for several weeks now, and we get here to the second half of chapter 3. Here, when you look at what Paul is speaking about in regard to the church at Thessalonica, he makes it very clear that this young church, and it was a, a very young church, it had been recently started, uh, it was a healthy church though. He makes it clear that it's healthy. And he also makes it clear that this church is growing even healthier. He doesn't treat Thessalonica, the church there, as if it had arrived, but he does speak of it as being healthy and growing. Now, we're going to see in coming chapters as we get on, there's actually going to be a few things that he corrects them on too. So I don't want to present the church at Thessalonica as if, you know, every last detail about this church was, was ideal and perfect. They had their issues like all local churches do, but at the same time, they were a young church, they were a growing church, they were a healthy church. They were focused on the right things. And in this particular passage that we just read together, and we'll kind of pick it apart verse by verse here in just a moment, but here you have the Apostle Paul showing us four specific ways a healthy church tends to express its faith in Christ. And he illustrates this with how he interacts with the church, but also what he describes taking place in the church. And I think that if we value local church health, We value the health of our church. This is a portion of scripture that can be extremely helpful to us when we decide, all right, what should we be focused on? What should we be thinking about? What are some of the things? It doesn't talk about every last thing we should be focused on, but it does talk about four very important things that a local church should be focused on if the health of our congregation, if the health of our local church is something that's a priority for us. And one of the things that it talks about here in this portion of Scripture is that a healthy church is comforted by good news. Now, it illustrates this by how Paul responds to the news that he receives from Thessalonica. Let me read verses 6 through 8 once again for us. There it says this. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, And reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. So let me pause there. Paul had been making it clear, and we could see this in the verses that precede the the portion that we're looking at today. He'd been making it clear to the Thessalonians that he longed to visit them. He wanted to visit them, but he was prevented from doing so. And in fact, last week we were talking about the fact that there were spiritual reasons that he was prevented from doing so. There was actually some spiritual warfare going on there. And he wanted to visit them. He was prevented from doing so up to this point. But even though he couldn't physically get there, even though he couldn't physically... Uh, be there in their context. He wanted to make certain that they were headed in the right direction. He needed to know. He wanted to know. So what he did was this. You have Timothy. (laughs) Timothy is somebody that that, uh, was a, a young pastor that Paul was mentoring. Timothy was somebody that the Apostle Paul treated like he was his own son. And he sent Timothy to Thessalonica to check on the believers there, to check on the young church there, and to see how they were doing. And Timothy traveled. He went there. He spent time among them. He refreshed their faith. He encouraged them. He discipled them. He did all these things, and he was very pleased to discover in his visit that the church at Thessalonica was maturing and was growing healthy, even in the midst of local persecution. Their their newfound faith in Christ was not necessarily something celebrated in the city of Thessalonica. And yet the church was growing in the midst of persecution. It's ironic, but, and I, I don't want to ever experience persecution, and I don't think you probably want to experience persecution. And when I find stories online of churches throughout the world or believers throughout the world that are experiencing persecution, I try to remember to pray for them because I think that must be extremely unpleasant. But the irony of it is the church always seems to grow in the midst of it. Always seems to grow in the midst of persecution. And here you have the church at Thessalonica dealing with forms of local persecution, yet growing mature and growing healthy and remaining excited about their faith in Christ. And so Paul receives this report from Timothy, and he's both relieved and overjoyed when Timothy uh, sends this, you know, gives this report to him. He returns and he tells him the good news of their growth. Uh, Timothy told Paul about the faith that the church exhibited Uh, He told Paul about the love that they were showing for one another. He told Paul about the affection that they maintained for both Paul and Silas, who were the people that originally came and preached the gospel to them and established the church there. And Timothy also told Paul that the church in Thessalonica, even though they were young in the faith, they were standing fast in the Lord. They were standing fast in the Lord. Now, that's the kind of news you would certainly be grateful to hear if you had once risked your life to to reach a group of people and teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you couldn't personally remain there to disciple them further. And so Paul's hearing this news, and he's overjoyed. He's rejoicing. He's thankful to hear this good news as it's being shared with him as Timothy gives this good report about what's going on in Thessalonica. Good news is comforting. Just in general, good news tends to be something that we find comforting in all spheres of life. And I imagine there's probably something, and we can probably all go around and share something that right now we're thinking about or waiting to hear about that we hope will turn out well. I have no doubt that there's something in your life or in your thinking or in your schedule or a concern that's happening to your family or just something that you're thinking about in the broader scope of the Lord's uh, hand on on you know world history that you 're thinking about and waiting to hear about and hoping will turn out well and I think in general, the culture of a healthy the culture of a healthy local church is shaped by its response to good news and Let me explain what I mean by that as i 'm saying you know the culture of a healthy local church is shaped by its response to good news. What do I mean by that well what, what do we do? I mean, we, we gather for worship, and a large percentage of our time is spent doing what? Being refreshed with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look at what Scripture teaches us and communicates to us about the Lord's work in our life and the future that the Lord has in store for us, we hear the gospel proclaimed, we have the opportunity to respond to it, we are given good news and it's comforting to us so when we receive the good news as we meditate on the good news as we think about the good news that's even shared in a brief portion of scripture like we're looking at today does it prompt us to rejoice and does it inspire us to grow does it facilitate gratefulness in our hearts for what Christ has already done for us and what he what he has in store for us yet future You know, these are ways that we have the opportunity to interact with and respond to good news. I think a local church also has the opportunity to hear the good news and and, and even longs to hear the good news of what Christ is doing through the missionaries that are commissioned and supported and sent through the local church. You know, these are things, the, the very things that Paul was concerned about, the very things, you know, that he was waiting to hear about from Timothy are the type of things that we experience frequently through the missionaries that we're commissioning and supporting and sending. There are missionaries, by the way, that our church supports locally. I remember at one point I was, I was trying to explain the concept of local missions to somebody. And they said, you know what? Typically, I tend to think of missions as only being overseas overseas. But you're right, you know, we're, we're called to be missionaries wherever the Lord sent us. And so our church supports local ministries and missions, things nationally, you know, here in the United States, and things internationally. We support missionaries in each of those spheres, and it's a privilege to be able to join together with our missionaries in those efforts. But it's also a joyful thing to hear about how the Lord is building up his church throughout this world through the work that he's called the missionaries that we're partnering together with to do. And when, when they write to us, likewise, we're inspired to join them in prayer as we hear about the things that they have going on when they visit the area. We love to have them come and give a report and share a little bit about what they're doing. And I even saw we have a, a, a new ministry of the month that our missions team put up on on uh, the back wall. And uh, that would be in line with local missions this month that we're praying about. So be sure to check that out uh, as, uh, as you leave the, the church today. But the point being... We see each of these kind of responses to good news in the ways in which Paul was interacting with these believers in Thessalonica. And I think in general, healthy believers in a healthy church are comforted by good news, the good news of the gospel and the good news of what Christ is accomplishing, the victories he's securing throughout the course of human history. But there's something else that we could see following right after that, that Paul illustrates in this portion of scripture. And that's this, a healthy church prays with thanksgiving. Now think about that statement for just a second. A healthy church prays with thanksgiving. Well, what do we mean by that? Well, look again at verses 9 and 10 of 1 Thessalonians 3. It says this, For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and support what is lacking in your faith. Do you find yourself being someone who observes people? Do you observe people? You know, we all do that to some degree, right? You kind of observe it. Are are there people that the Lord's put in your life over the course of your life that you tend to look up to and you find yourself observing maybe even a little bit more than you observe others? There are people throughout the course of my life that, that I think the Lord has supplied to me as good examples. And so there are people that I try to copy. And I remember this is probably, if I had to guess, is probably a little over 20 years ago. I remember being at something with a group of pastors who were either in retirement or near retirement. They were right on the edge of retirement or they were either, you know, in the midst of it but still trying to serve the Lord as he gave them opportunity to do so. We were all together in one location and we we're going to be together for several days. And uh, I remember the one evening, a group of of these men got together and they were sitting together uh, around several couches and they started talking. And as they were talking, they started sharing different prayer needs and prayer requests with each other. And they all committed to pray for one another and to lift these things up before the Lord. And as the conversation was going on, one of them suggested, well, why don't we pray about some of these things now? And so they started praying about some of these things together in that moment. And then an hour goes by. Mind you, they started this probably around ten thirty, eleven o'clock at night. You know, so about an hour goes by, and then another hour goes by, and another hour goes by. And before they knew it, they had spent most of that evening together in prayer, praying for one another, you know, lifting each other up before the Lord, praying for each other's families, praying for each other's ministries. And the next day, it was interesting to observe these guys. Now, at that point, you know, I, I was still... Fine, I, I didn't, uh, you know, feel like I required a whole ton of sleep. Uh, but it was very interesting the next day uh, to watch these guys kind of go throughout the day because it was very clear that they were somewhat affected by the lack of sleep, but also exuding joy that comes from spending concerted time together in prayer before the Lord. And I remember looking at these men and seeing... The fatigue that obviously you experience when you skip a night of sleep, but the joy that comes from spending time together before the Lord. And I thought, all right, these men are examples that I need to be observing. And I just remember, you know, without even purposely saying I need to remember this, it was just one of those things that I remember in that moment thinking, okay, that made an impression on me. These older gentlemen made an impression on me at a younger season of my life. Now, as Paul took the time to write to the Thessalonians, he wanted to let them know that he had been fervently praying for them, that this was something that he did. He did it night and day. He was fervently praying for them. And as he he prayed for them, he did so with great joy. And he also expressed genuine thanksgiving for what the Lord was doing in their lives. Now, that's a great mindset, that's a great attitude to cultivate when we're in prayer. Because coming before the Lord is a genuine privilege, and our, our, our confident access to the throne of God was secured for us through, through Christ who atoned for us. And now we have the privilege to come before the Lord boldly and regularly, And joyfully, and you can see the Apostle Paul making great use of that privilege. And likewise, we should be making great use of that privilege. But as we pray, I think it's wise for us as individuals and wise for us as a church to come before the Lord with an attitude of thanksgiving, regardless of whatever circumstances may be going on in the moment. To come before the Lord with an attitude of thanksgiving. Here you have the Apostle Paul not hesitating to express his thankfulness to the Lord, And neither should we. We should never hesitate to express our thankfulness to the Lord. Prayer is not just a time for us to be making desperate requests of the Lord. Now, certainly you can make desperate requests of the Lord, but sometimes we think that's all prayer is. And then you look at what Scripture illustrates for us, and we're shown that prayer goes a lot deeper than just making desperate requests of the Lord. It's also a time for us to be thanking the Lord for the work that we've already seen him do. We've already had the privilege to see him do things. And I actually believe that when we, when we pray with thanksgiving, we also start to pray with a great degree of confidence. Because we're thanking the Lord for things that we've already seen him do. And now we're asking him to interact with, with situations that definitely need his intervention. But if you begin with thanking him for what he's already done, by the time you get to those requests, you have this confidence that starts to build because you've been freshly reminded of what you've already seen the Lord do. And here you have Paul encouraging the church at Thessalonica by his example and by his words to be people who pray with thanksgiving. And by the way, this isn't something that just comes up in his letter to the church at Thessalonica. It's also something he stresses in his letter to the church at Philippi. Now, when you go through the book of 1 Thessalonians you see a lot of things that Paul was quite pleased with and quite joyful of. When you go through the book of Philippians, you could see that that was the mindset he was in as he was interacting as he was interacting with the different things that were taking place in Philippi. It's a very joyful letter, just like we see a lot of joy in this letter to the Thessalonians. And in the midst of that, you have the Apostle Paul also encouraging the church at Philippi to pray with thanksgiving. To make that a pattern of prayer. Now, let me say this even before I. I'm going to put on the screen behind me a portion of Scripture that I think is one of the better known portions of Scripture for good reason. But even before I put it up, let me say this. There are times when I'm praying, and there are times when you're praying, that there's a lot of anxiety in the midst of our prayers. Wouldn't you agree? I think there's a lot of times that I've come before the Lord with anxiety and asked him to either relieve me of the anxiety or interact in something that I feel powerless to do anything about. And I think a lot of times when we're praying, particularly when we're anxious, it's extremely beneficial for us to make sure that we're being thankful to the Lord because uh, thankfulness to the Lord is something that the Lord prompts us to be in a spot where he relieves that anxiety. And the, the Apostle Paul, when he was talking to the church at Philippi, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, said this about prayer, about anxiety. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with, what word? Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a, I mean, I'm, I'm sure for many of us, that's probably one of our go-to scriptures. I still remember the first time I interacted with that scripture. I remember reading it at a season of life where I felt like the Lord had, had just, just brought it to my attention right in front of me. And I wasn't even necessarily looking for it. It's just like he just brought it right before me. I, I remember thinking to myself, all right, Lord, that's exactly what I needed to hear in the moment. But what does the Apostle Paul Encourage the church at Philippi to do. He's saying, listen, you don't need to be anxious. Give it all to the Lord in prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he tells us that the peace of God is going to, to, to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You know, you're overthinking, you're overfeeling. The power of God will supersede it. So, when we pray, what does it sound like? You know, what do we express when we come before the Lord? Do we make demands of Him? Do we run through a checklist of perceived needs or perceived wants? Do we spend time thanking Him for what He's already been doing? Do we thank Him for the perfection of His timing? The preciseness of his plan and the fact that he's got all history and all the future under his control. Or maybe our prayers are kind of like a combination of all of those things, right? But the point being, and you see this in what Paul says, but also what he illustrates in multiple places in Scripture, is the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these things down so that there would be a day where we would sit down and read these things and, and have these truths communicated to our heart, he illustrates and he shares that healthy Christians and healthy churches pray with thanksgiving. Something else that this portion of Scripture brings out that I want us to notice is this. A healthy church abounds in love. Now, I'm going to give you a quiz in just a moment, all right? And you don't even have to answer it out loud, but you just answer it in your head after I read the scripture. I'm going to reread verses 11 to 12, and then comes the quiz. Let me reread these verses. It says this, related to the fact that a healthy church abounds in love. It says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all As we do for you. That's a beautiful collection of verses, two verses there that that really speak about this. All right, here's the quiz. Now, again, you don't have to answer this out loud, but answer it in your head. It's really, really hard. All right? I hope you're prepared. What do these activities have in common? All right, what do these, I'm going to list like five or six things. What do these activities have in common? A group of men building a back porch. A family babysitting, so a child could be watched and the parents could go out and have a date night. A hospital visit. A food delivery. A drive to the airport. And the donation of a used car. Sounds pretty diverse, right? Guys building a porch. Family babysitting, hospital visit, food delivery, a drive to the airport, and the donation of a car. What do these things have in common? Well, each of these things are examples of ways that I've recently observed people in our church family tangibly show love to one another. Each of those are ways that recently that's taken place, as people have taken time to tangibly show love to one another. A healthy church abounds in Christ-centered love that expresses itself in action. And Paul prayed that the Lord would, would cause the Thessalonians to abound and increase in that kind of love, and I think that that's something we should request of the Lord as well. In fact, Jesus made it clear That our love for one another, think about this for just a second, our love for one another would, would be one of the most powerful ways that he would testify to this world that we are his disciples. That he would give the world a glimpse of his heart through the love that you and I show one another. In fact, I love what Jesus says in John 13, in verses 34 and 35, he says this, he says, a new commandment I give to you. And by the way, this isn't the first time this is brought up in scripture. So some people say, wait, what does he mean when he says a new commandment I give to you? And what he's doing here is he's basically saying a new command, I'm giving new emphasis on this commandment is kind of the idea. I want to emphasize this for you in in a way that maybe you haven't caught on to it yet, right? He's saying a new commandment. Something I wanted to get your attention fresh. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Uh, I have great joy in my heart as I read a portion of scripture like this, and I observe God's people showing love for one another. Um, And here you have have Christ saying, listen, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to spend your life. This is how I want you to spend your time. This is how I want you to interact with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to demonstrate in tangible, visible ways that you love one another. It's not just an emotional response. He's saying, I want you to actively seek what would be to the benefit of somebody else, even at great personal cost to yourself. Because he says, just as I have loved you, right? Love one another just as I have loved you. Well, how has Christ loved us? Well, Christ came to this earth leaving comfort and experiencing pain. He was criticized. He was chastised. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was nailed to a cross. He sacrificially showed love to people before they were appreciative of the love that he had shown. And yet he did so because that's who he is by nature. He is the perfection of love. And he calls us to follow his example. And he says, love one another like I have loved you. And you'll testify to this world that you're my disciples if that's what you convey to one another. A healthy church shows one another Christ-centered love. And there's one other thing that the Apostle Paul brings up in this portion of Scripture, and I want to emphasize it as we finish up our time together today, and that's this. A healthy church increases in holiness. What does that mean? Look at what it says in verse 13. It says, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I came across a a news article that is a little over 25 years old. I came across this very recently. It was actually published in December of 1994 by the Washington Post, and they ran a story about Joe Theismann. Do you know the name Joe Theismann? Some of you know the name Joe Theismann. Um, He was a quarterback for the Washington Redskins, um, known for being just a fantastic quarterback. Um, Many of you know it was uh, Lawrence Taylor who uh, effectively ended Joe Theismann's career, all of that, but anyway... The article was at the time, so this is a little over 25 years ago, and the article at the time was about Joe Theismann's upcoming divorce from his second wife and the legal action she was taking against him to obtain half of his estate. And at the time, Theisman was having an affair, and he didn't even deny it. And when his, when his wife asked him why he was cheating on her, he replied, God wants Joe Theismann to be happy. That was his response. God wants Joe Theismann to be happy. Why are all the ladies right now biting their lip, clenching their fist? Um, you know, I'm looking around, it's like, uh, you know, hey, you know, Redskins, what do you want, right? You know, it's Washington team, you know, what, what are we gonna do, right? But the point being, that was what he said. That was his response to his wife. And she's like, why are you cheating on me? Could you imagine saying that? God wants Joe Theismann to be happy. Joe Theismann's got to do what Joe Theismann's got to do. God wants Joe Theismann to be happy. What do you think about that logic? Is happiness, regardless of the consequences, what God's called us to to devote our lives to? Or does he want more for us than that? You know, can we justify doing whatever we want, whenever we want, with the statement, hey, God just wants me to be happy. God just wants me to be happy. You know, I saw saw a uh, news report a couple days ago of someone who had... uh, Had done a considerable amount of shoplifting from a local business. Actually, the business was in Montgomery County, but pretty close by. And they just walked into the store, grabbed a whole bunch of clothing, put it over their arm. They didn't even hide it, and they just walked out. So, when they catch this guy that did this, do you think it would be a justifiable response? He's like, hey, God just wants me to be happy. And these sweats and this sweatshirt makes me pretty happy. So, is this jersey. So, thank you for contributing to my happiness. Really appreciate it. God just wants me to be happy. God wants more for us than just our momentary or circumstantial happiness. His true desire for us is that we walk in holiness. That's what we could see Paul speaking about in this portion of Scripture. Paul desired to see the Thessalonians established in holiness. And that's something our lives should be invested in as well. So think about it like this When Jesus Christ came to this earth, He lived the perfect life on our behalf since we were incapable of doing so. He went to the cross to atone for our sin. Now he offers us brand new life through faith in him. Scripture tells us that through Christ we are declared holy and righteous in the eyes of God the Father because he sees us as men and women who have been cleansed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his son. Being that we are cleansed. You know, as God the Father looks at you, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, as God the Father looks at you, he's not looking at a a checklist of all your errors or mistakes or acts of rebellion. He's seeing you as cleansed. He's seeing you as, as holy and blameless in his sight, Scripture speaks. Since that's the case, the Lord doesn't want us to make lame excuses for returning back to the sin that he's already set us free from. And isn't that what all our excuses are for returning back to the sin we've already been set free from? They're just lame, right? They are lame excuses. Every excuse I've ever offered the Lord for returning back to the sin that he's already rescued me from is lame and embarrassing. It's not a good excuse. He's paid, and this, is, this helps me, and I hope it'll help you. He's paid too steep a price. For us to be people who embrace wickedness all over again. It's paid too steep a price to free you for you to go back to the chains of sin slavery all over again. We're called to live a life empowered by Christ that's set apart from sin and ungodliness. Now, here's the thing. The Lord knows that you and I struggle. We struggle every single day, but every time we're struggling, it's another moment for us to rely on the strength of Christ and not just, not just uh, indulge the flesh, but to say, all right, Lord, obviously I'm struggling here. Let me just confess it to you and let me rely on your strength to carry me through this moment until the temptation passes. Help me not to go back to the chains of slavery that you've already paid the steepest price to free me from. And here you have the Apostle Paul praying for the Thessalonians that that would be their heart and that would be their mindset. It's the essence of holiness. It's not that the Lord doesn't know that you and I struggle with sin here and now. Of course we struggle with sin here and now. We still have our sin nature. There's going to be a day where we won't have the sin nature anymore, when we're in his presence in eternity. But right now we have the new nature and we have the old nature. And he's saying to you and I that his power is sufficient for us, for us to live in the new nature. That we don't have to indulge the old nature. That we don't have to go back to the chains of slavery that he's already paid the ransom to free us from. He's given us freedom. He's given us the privilege to walk in him, uh, to be set apart from sin, to be set apart from ungodliness, to live in holiness. But a healthy church, when you look at what's illustrated in this portion of scripture, a healthy church expresses its faith in Christ with prayer, with thanksgiving, with love, with holiness. And we do this all with great appreciation for who Christ is and what he's, what he's accomplished on our behalf to unite us all As one body under the banner of the truth of the good news of his gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the blessing that it is to be able to look at a portion of scripture like this and find it so intensely practical. Lord, it's, it's amazing to be able to look at something like this and recognize what you do in our lives and, and what you continue to do and what you have outlined for us even future. Lord, you want us to be people who come before you with thanksgiving, people who rejoice over your good news, the good news of your gospel, the good news of the testimony of believers throughout this world and what you're doing in their lives. Lord, you call us to be people who show love to one another. You call us to be people who walk in holiness. But again, Lord, we recognize that these aren't things that can be accomplished in our own strength and in our own power. And so you tell us in your word that you are not distant from us. You're right here with us. You live within us. You empower us to love one another. You empower us to walk in holiness. Lord, you know that it's a struggle for us. You tell us in your word that that when you came to this earth and when you walked among us, you tasted that struggle directly yet never gave into it. So, Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you love us in spite of our past mistakes. We're grateful that you love us in the midst of our current struggles. And we're grateful that you tell us in your word that we are holy and righteous and blameless in your sight. And since we know that you already see us that way, even while we're in the midst of this struggle as you're seeing us for for what you've already declared so and what you're facilitating for our future, we pray, Lord, that we would start to see ourselves through that perspective as well. And that our interest in going back to the things that you've already freed us from, the wickedness or the sin or the rebellion, that our interest would wane, that it wouldn't be something that we would continue to foster a strong desire for. That we wouldn't feed our flesh, but that we would ultimately walk by the power of your holy spirit and lord we could see that the apostle paul was overjoyed to hear the good testimonies of of that kind of life that was being lived among the people in thessalonica as their young faith was growing stronger and stronger and stronger even in the midst of persecution well lord in our context we we barely experience persecution sometimes somebody might make some critical remark to us and Maybe sometimes we feel like we get passed over for a, a job or a promotion or something like that. But when we look at, at what's taking place throughout the world right now, right now in our context, we don't have people threatening our lives. We don't have people throwing us in jail for a decade because we proclaimed your gospel. Sometimes we deal with minor inconveniences. And I think sometimes, Lord, because that's the nature of all we really seem to deal with in our context Sometimes we become really lax and really soft about our faith, and as a result, we don't seem to always prioritize the things that that produce a deep-rooted health in our spiritual walk. But again, Lord, we're reminded from this portion of Scripture today that you want us to grow, you want us to progress, you want us to become deeply-rooted followers of yours as we embrace the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, who's rescued and redeemed us. So, Lord, we pray that you'd empower us in those ways. We pray that you would help us to walk with you faithfully in every context that that we find ourselves in. And we pray that each and every day, through times of prayer, through our meditation on the truth of your word, through our interaction with our brothers and sisters in Christ who show us Christ-centered love, that our faith would grow, that we would make those investments in our faith and that you would continue investing in us through your word and through your people and through your spirit so that we would grow mature in our walk with you we pray that that would have an impact on our households we pray that that would have an impact on our children we pray lord that our extended family would see and experience your love and the depth of a relationship with you as they watch that taking place in our lives We pray, Lord, that our culture would be experiencing those things as they observe Christians interacting with one another and likewise interacting with those who as of yet do not believe. And again, Lord, we're grateful that we could look at the example of people who lived a lot longer ago than than we do, people who lived in a generation, many decades, many centuries prior to ours, who understood these things before we were exposed to them. But now, Lord, it's It's our opportunity to live these things out. And so we pray that we'd rely on your strength to do so. And we're grateful for your goodness and we're grateful for your love. We're just grateful for the privilege that it is today to be refreshed by these truths. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. And thank you for bringing these things to our minds and our hearts today. We commit them to you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we'd invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. And if you're not on our newsletter list, be sure to click the link to sign up right there on the front page of the website. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week, and we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care.